أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله تبارك وتعالى وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وبعد وكل ما قتله كلبك المعلم وبعزك المعلم فجائز أكله إذا أرسلته عليه وكذلك ما أنقذت الجوارح الجوارح مقاتله قبل قدرتك على ذكاته وما أدركته قبل إنقاذها لمقاتله لم تؤكل إلا بذكات So uh, this hukum has to do or this set of ahkam has to do with hunting if a person has to hunt and the, uh, the first uh, ruling that's mentioned in the string of rulings is whatever has been killed by your trained uh, dog, hunting dog, or your trained falcon, uh, it is permissible to eat if you sent that dog or falcon intentionally after the prey. So interesting uh, that this hukum is actually mentioned explicitly in the Quran. Uh, that uh, using the use of hunting dogs is permissible and this uh, description of the kalb being mu'allam uh, literally being taught uh, which is the same you know it's the same word you'd use for teaching a human being like some academic subject or whatnot um, perhaps this is not you know directly in the realm of what people conventionally think of as fiqh but uh, one of our asatiza, he was talking about the fadl, the virtue of ilm. That he said that if a dog were to kill an animal, um, Allah Taala, uh, you know, he's, you know, he actually explicitly enumerates from the types of haram meat, ma akalahu sabru, that the uh, wild animals, the things that's that's been eaten and killed because it's been eaten by a wild animal or uh, bitten by a wild animal. That that's from the things that are haram, and uh, then. But on the flip side, you see that the barakah of the ta'alim of the kalb, teaching the kalb, it means that the animal that they kill actually becomes halal. That you say the name of Allah and you send it, and the uh, imsak, the thing that it, it grabs, or that it takes hold of, uh, becomes halal. And uh, if this is what the barakah of teaching the dog is and training the dog is or whatever other animals if people train you know in old times people and still I guess today they trained a number of different animals the Arabs in particular they trained a number of different animals to hunt for them so it's not only birds and dogs but even like cheetahs and just all sorts of interesting animals you know that you can train them to um, kill prey or find prey or retrieve prey for you that uh, it's the the ta'alim that makes the thing that they bring back jais uh, and it's the intention of sending them with the name of Allah Ta'ala that makes what they catch jais otherwise if you don't send them intentionally they go on their own or if you uh, purposely omit the mention of the name of Allah when sending them or if they're not trained then in all of these cases the thing that they kill or retrieve is meta now, what is the training coming back to like fiqh? 
uh, what's conventionally thought of as fiqh for a moment. The training is that the, the animal should follow commands enough that they will not eat from the, the prey that they're hunting or retrieving. And so that, you know, that's a process that requires teaching it that, look, you'll get your food one way or the other. We're not going to deprive you, but it should have enough control and it should show enough obedience to the commands of the master that you know that it's going after what you're sending it because of your niya, not because of, you know, just it so happens that it, it goes and does this thing. Um, and that's what the, what the training of the of the dog is, what's the training of the animal is. And again, then to shift back into something that's a little bit more what people consider ishara, it's the same thing with the believer as well. You know, some people say, oh, I'm going to go make da'wah, but then what they catch, they there's a conflict of interest in it if they have some sort of money that they get or some sort of fame or some sort of pride or some sort of, you know, some people say, oh, I'm going to go make da'wah. Well, how come, Ahi, you're excited to make da'wah to pretty girls, but you're not you know, exci- excited to make da'wah to, uh, uh, you know, uh, a grandma who can't, you know, who doesn't excite you in that way, or to, uh, you know, a brother uh, who's poor or who has no means or has no way of rewarding you in this world, even though they have enough like others have enough. They have a, a you know, a ruh like others have a ruh. They have a need for salvation on the Day of Judgment like others have a need. And uh, Allah Ta'ala rewards, rewards people uh, for it. It's a good deed all the same. Uh, and so that's also something that the Kalb should know that the, 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 the master will feed it one way or the other. So that's what they do. They feed the animal separately. And then they train it to go and get the uh, carcass so that you unpair inside of, that the animal unpairs inside of its mind. The idea that the carcass it's retrieving for the master is my food. The carcass that's being retrieved from the master is my work. My food, the master gives me separately. And, uh, you know, that's also, that's also part of the ta'aleem of the salik as well and of the Muslim as well. Is that the Rabb Tabarak wa Ta'ala people think, you know, oh, I'm going to follow deen, I'm going to die broke, or I'm going to die alone, or I'm going to die unhappy, or whatever. And that's not the case. MashaAllah, the Muslims were the furthest of people, if you read history, from being broke, or from being alone, or from not having fun or enjoyment or culture or whatever. But the idea is that you cannot mix, you can't mix it up because if you mix everything up, your intentions, you mix them up, what should be done for the sake of Allah Ta'ala, you're doing it with this like fantasy in the back of your head that somehow this is for, you know, that I'm going to enjoy, this is my way of getting to some sort of enjoyment or some sort of consumption or some sort of, uh, you know, other desire of the nafs. It means that the thing that you touch, which was supposed to be halal, it becomes haram and it loses all of its barakah and it's a failure in this world and it's a failure uh, in the hereafter and you know this is subhanallah this is something that's a uh, again somewhat of an aside but uh, it's worth mentioning it's worth mentioning because fiqh is about understanding and there's a lot of understanding that can be taken from a lot of things and sometimes there are a lot of people who can memorize the details and miss the, the bigger point which is that Traditionally, people say, in order to be a good person of knowledge, you have to first be a good Muslim. And in order to be a good Muslim, you have to be a good human being. Uh, and I, I add to this, uh, there's perhaps like a remedial, like I have the remedial tasawwuf, of course, the remedial part of this 
understandings in order to be a good human being, you should first be a good animal. And this is something that even animals understand. So if you see that it's broken down, it's maybe you should like we should work on it first. And then when it's not working, don't ask why the rest of it is not functional. First fix this, then move to the move to the next lesson. Uh, which is that the animals have enough loyalty uh, that the nafs in general, which is something that also the animals have, jubilat ala hubbi man ahsana ilayha. The the nafs is naturally inclined. It's jubilat. It's its essential nature is that it will love the one who's good to it. But. Uh, sadly, this is a dysfunctionality, you know, the psych- psychologist is a tabib nafsani, the one who deals with the nafsani, amrad nafsaniya, that there's this uh, kind of like a, a dysfunction in the nufus of some people, that they don't, they can't do this, like this somehow for whatever reason doesn't work for them. And so, uh, you know, there's a story, Allahu alam, if it happened, it probably happened several times in different places, uh, but I don't know if it's a true story or not, even if it didn't, it's helpful to illustrate something that the Grand Vizier was the Wazir of the Sultan for like whatever 30 years or something like that and one day he screwed up and the Sultan became so angry he said throw him to the dogs so they threw him to the dogs and the dogs wouldn't you heard the story before? they threw him to the dogs and the dogs wouldn't attack him so the Sultan is upset now he's like what's going on? and so the, you know and that's the thing is that's why you have a Wazir because usually they're smart people that you know, help you figure things out right? So Wazir explained to him, he goes, you know, a couple of years ago, um, the, the keeper, the dog, the, the royal dog keeper, he was, he was like indisposed for some reason. So I couldn't find anyone to take care of the dogs uh, to replace him. So I just fed them myself for like two weeks or something like that. So that so many years ago, the, uh, the dogs, I fed them for like two weeks. And because of the ihsan, the way dogs are is that they'll never forget it. You know, they'll always see me as as uh, uh, um, as somebody who like is a good person and then and he took the opportunity to chide the sultan too he said that you know 30 years i served you and one time i screwed up you know and this is like what you did the dogs they didn't forget the ihsan that i did for them so long ago just for a couple of weeks and uh, if the sultan should feel stupid in a time like that imagine how stupid the insan should be that allah ta'ala you know uh, his lutf is uh, his lutf is aptly described as you know being being present with you even you know before you were a a fetus in the womb of your mother. Uh, his ihsan was so much. And even the thing that you think is bad is actually good for you. You just don't understand it yet. Um, that even in that there's khair. And so for a person to be ungrateful to the Lord, it's kind of bogus. It's kind of, it's like kind of a bogus thing to do. But coming back to the bab in question, if the, ta- the ta'aleem of the, qalb, of, the, of, the, of the kalb and the qalb, I guess, as well, but the ta'aleem of the dog is that it should have at least this much understanding that I'm, I'm not going to eat from the prey in the way that you teach the dog that or you teach the bass that or the falcon or whatever is that you feed it separately until it decouples in its mind the eating and drinking from the 
right, from, from the, the work that the master gives it. And likewise, whatever, uh, whatever things you, whatever implements you, you use uh, uh, that kill uh, the animal. So if it's a spear or, or an arrow or whatever, it should be the implement should be something that cuts. Um, that that whatever you hit with an implement and it dies before you get to it, um, that thing is also halal. And uh, um, that thing that you hit with an implement, but you are able to reach it while it's still alive, that you're required to slaughter. You're required to slaughter because if it's wounded, you know, to the point where you catch up with it, then it's in your control. Then the, the slaughter procedure, which was covered in previous lessons, it's an obligation for you to uh, implement that. Uh, and everything that you, uh, everything that you uh, um, hunt, uh, 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 so this this the same ruling. وَإِنْ فَاتَ بِنَفْسِهِ فَكُلْهُ إِذَا قَتَلَهُ سَهْمُكَ مَا لَمْ يَبِتْ عَنْكَ وَقِيلَ إِنَّمَا ذَلِكَ فِيمَا بَعْتَ عَنْكَ مِمَّا قَتَلَتُ الْجَوَارِحُ وَأَمَّا السَّهْمُ يُوجَدُ فِي مَقْتَلِهِ فَلَا بَأْسَ بِأَكْلِهِ So then there's, there's another uh, question which is How do you know that it's your arrow or your implement that killed the that killed the prey? Because it's not always. In fact, it's probably rarely that you just shoot something, bam, it drops dead, and you just walk over and pick it up. What usually is the case is that you wound that the animal somehow, and then you have to keep stalking it because it will run, and so you follow the trail of blood or you follow you know whatever. You have to stalk it and find it. So. The, uh, uh, the question is, is that like, you know, what are the parameters of that? How can you be sure that it's your arrow that killed the animal? Um, and so it's mentioned that, uh, uh, um, it's mentioned that, okay, well, as, lo it's that, that as long as it's not the, uh, um, as long as it's not like nighttime hasn't crossed between your hitting it and between your retrieving it. So for example, if a person hits the animal after Asr and then they look for it and then it's nighttime and then the day they look for it again and then they find it, then uh, uh, then then a person shouldn't eat from it because there's a question of why it died. And he says then he also mentions the opinion. He says that uh, the opinion is also there that no, that it should be, it should be, uh, 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 that, that should be only the case for the animals that, that, that the things that you send the animals after whereas if you have an arrow for example that has obviously hit the animal mortally if you have an arrow in the neck or something like that or it has pierced uh, you know like 
something that, that is going to mortally wound the animal, then it's obvious that the, that the animal died from your, uh, from your um, having shot it or hit it. And so there's nothing wrong with, with eating from, from that. وَلَا تُؤْكَلُوا الْإِنْسِيَةُ بِمَا يُؤْكَلُوا بِهِ الشَّيْدُ And uh, you, cannot, you cannot kill a domesticated animal uh, like in the way that you kill wildlife. Meaning that, you know, you can't just say, oh look, it's like domesticated sheep or domesticated um, goat or whatever. And I'm going to hunt it with an arrow and say Bismillah, or I'm going to send my like attack dog against it or whatever, and say Bismillah. You can't, you can't do that. That dispensation for the the wider, I guess, repertory of tools available for hunting wild animals is precisely because of the need. Because wild wild animals, you cannot, you don't have control over them. Whereas the uh, domesticated animals, you know, if they're domesticated, you should have like some way of restraining them and slaughtering them properly. Even the wild animals, when you have the ability to get to them and, and slaughter them uh, according to the, uh, you know, the, the method of slaughter that was previously covered, if you're able to do it, you have to. It's only while you're not able to do it that all of these special rules with regard to hunting are there. And this is a difference between the Maliki school and between the Hanafi school. In the Hanafi school, they have this idea, and we covered it before that we don't have it in the Maliki school, of the zakatul idtirariya, that the idtirar has from the same root of darura. So idtirar is the thing that pushes you toward like necessity. So what if somebody's like bull goes AWOL? It happens. Or what if somebody's like bull like falls into a well? How are you gonna pull like a living, kicking, screaming bull out of a well? It's difficult enough even if it's dead. And so, uh, you know, these are situations that are mentioned in the Hanafi books that because there's really no way of killing the animal otherwise, or it seems like there's no way of like safely handling the animal otherwise, then you're allowed to like hit it with an arrow or, or, or whatever. Whereas in the Maliki school, that's not, that's not permissible. If it is from the class of domesticated animals, you have to slaughter it uh, like a domesticated animal, even if it has gone AWOL. So it's like, it's not, it's not a two-way street, right? Because in, in terms, there's, it's rather, it's priority. The priority is what is that the normal dhabh and nahr, the normal form of zakat is has priority over Sayyid. Sayyid is only there for, it's an exception and it's there for when certain conditions are met. So that's why, for example, unlike the Hanafis, we don't consider the hunted animal of uh, the people of the book to be permissible to eat. And uh, like that, you know, it's a different, it's a different way of looking at the masala that they're not analogous with one another. I don't even think the Hanafis consider there to be a straight analogy between, uh, between hunting and between sla the slaughter. But uh, here it's like a matter of priority that if you don't check the correct boxes, you cannot, you cannot use the, the hunting method of, of, of killing an animal and uh, then permissive, you know, eat from it uh, with permission. So then he, uh, he moves to another set of masail, which is the uh, masail having to do with the uh, aqiqah.
Uh, Aplica is another type of ritual slaughter which occurs at the time of the birth of a newborn. And the reason it's mentioned here is because first he mentions the Udhiyah and the Hadaya, right? The sacrifices of Eid and the sacrifices of, of Hajj. And then he mentions how you're supposed to slaughter in general. And uh, then he mentions say that now he's mentioning the Aqiqah, which is another type of Mukhtalafihi uh, uh, um, ritual sacrifice. I say Mukhtalafihi because I think it's the opinion of Imam Hanifa that it's not a ritual sacrifice. Rather, it's a permissible. Uh, a permissible uh, uh, slaughter that's uh, that was like a, from the culture of the Arabs that was upheld by the Prophet ﷺ and practiced by him sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Whereas, you know, I don't think they, you know that's not the co- common and popular custom amongst uh, the people of the subcontinent at any rate to view it that way. It is viewed as a sunnah and as a, a ritual performance. In the Maliki school, it definitely is. Um, but I mentioned it's Mukhtalafihi just out of, uh, just out of, uh, uh, you know, just to educate and, uh, and to properly report the different opinions of the different ulama and the different mashayikh. Um, so it's recommended. It's recommended. And there are other ritual sacrifices and ritual slaughters as well. Uh, for a, a list of what you call the particular slaughters in the different particular occasions, like the walima is also a ritual slaughter as well. Uh, uh, the Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi and so that's a, it's the name of a party and it's also the name of a a, a, a slaughter that happens an occasion, a slaughter an animal, etc. Qarafi in his Zakhira, he has a, a long list of them for those who want to up their Arabic vocabulary, inshallah. وَيُعَقُّ عَنْ الْمَوْلُودِ يَوْمَ سَابِعِهِ بِشَاتٍ مِثْلَ مَا ذَكَرْنَاهُ مِنْ سِنِّ الْأُضْحِيَةِ وَصِفَتِهَا So In the Hashia he mentions Anyways, the, the, the translation is that the Aqiqah is performed on behalf of the, 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 the newborn child on the seventh day with a, a sheep and uh, uh, in a sheep of the description that we mentioned from before so it should be free of defect and uh, it doesn't have to be a sheep it can be he writes in the in the in the sharh Nafrawi writes in the sharh that it can be a goat it can be uh, a camel it can be a head of cattle but it should be of the description of what's needed for a valid udhiyah and a valid hadi uh, pre, you know before it shouldn't be like it should be free of major defect and it shouldn't be like super emaciated or terminally ill or whatever wala yuhsabu fi sab'ati al-ayyami al-yawm alladhi wulida fihi so uh, the day that the, the child is born, if the di- child is in, indeed born in, during daylight hours, uh, between the crack of dawn and between Maghrib, that day is not counted because it's a it's a part of the part of a day. So if the child is born during the day on Wednesday, <coughs> then the sacrifice will be on the next Wednesday. If the child is born, what we would refer to as Wednesday night in 
whatever the system over here or what we would refer to as Thursday morning before the crack of dawn then uh, in, in that case it, still the seventh day is going to be uh, the next Wednesday so it's the seventh day it doesn't it's not after seven days pass but it is on the seventh day not counting the fraction of the day that the child is born on <clears throat> And it should be uh, uh, slaughtered in the morning. Uh, meaning what? It should be slaughtered. It should be slaughtered in the morning before noon time. And uh, it's recommended to slaughter after the sun rises as well although if a person does it between dawn and sunrise it still suffices and uh, perhaps I should uh, you know look up the masala as well but in uh, terms of the uh, hadaya uh, in terms of the hadaya and in terms of the lahaya you don't uh, uh, you can't it's not valid to slaughter at night and uh, I'm assuming that that, sh that should be the case here as well but I should look up the particular juz'iya um, but at any rate if a person wants to do it let them take care to do it during the, during the daylight before maghrib wala yumasu sabiyu bishay'in min damiha um, and you don't smear the, the child with any part of the blood of the afifa because this is part of the this is part of the uh, custom of jahiliya that they would smear the blood of the afifa on the child which is like a really weird like devil worshiper type weird thing to do you know uh, whereas the nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam you know everything he did was beautiful so he even even though the aqiqah of uh, his, you know, most of his children was before even the ahd of Islam, he, 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 his, his thib, his purity and his uh, pleasantness, it didn't allow him to do these things. So instead he would put perfume on the baby, which is such a nice thing to do. So that's also mentioned as being uh, one of those uh, things that the Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam did on that seventh day, uh, instead of smearing the baby with blood. Which is gross. Uh, and it's okay. It's okay to eat from it. And it's uh, it should be eaten from by the by the people who slaughtered, and the family, and it should be also given part of it should also be given out uh, in sadaqah. Uh, but it's not necessarily set at a third, a third, a third. And uh, it's okay to break the bones of the aqiqah because in Jahiliyyah they used to not do that. They used to take care when butchering the animal of aqiqah that they separated at the joints 
Allahu alam why they did that. It may have been a superstition of theirs that uh, by breaking the bones of the animal somehow it's harm for the child, uh, which is also not something that it's just a superstition of jahiliyyah. It may also be because um, because giving like a lot or cooking like it's like a feast. It's not something that's like economized. Allahu alam, Allahu alam, what that is. But there's nothing wrong with there's nothing wrong with breaking the bones of the, the animal when butchering it afterward. وَإِنْ حُلِقَ شَعْرُ رَأْسِ الْمَوْلُودِ وَتُصُدِّقَ بِوَزْنِهِ مِنَ الذَّهَبِ وَالْفِضَّةِ فَذَلِكَ مُسْتَحَبٌ حَسَنٌ And if the child's head is shaved at that time and then afterward the hair is weighed in the equivalent of uh, equivalent of gold or silver to the uh, weight of the hair of the child is distributed uh, as a sadaqa uh, then that's 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 uh, recommended and it's a beautiful thing to do um, and it's narrated wasn't Fatima to bintu Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam sha'ar al-Husayni wa al-Hasani wa Zainaba wa ummi kulthuma وَتُصُدِّقَتْ بِزَنَةِ ذَلِكَ فِضَّةً That uh, Sayyidah Fatima رضي الله تعالى عنها weighed the daughter of the Rasul صلى الله عليه وسلم weighed the hair of Al-Husayn when he was born and Al-Hasan when he was born and Sayyidah Zainab and Sayyidah Umm Kulthum عليهم السلام ورضي الله عنهم that they weighed the, the hair of the, the, the children in gave that much in sadaqah in uh, in silver in its weight of silver and they were poor you know they were poor people Sayyidina Ali and Sayyidina Fatima were poor they were not they were not wealthy Sayyidina Ali radiallahu anhu who was reported at some point that he used to carry water from the well for people for money and Sayyidina Fatima radiallahu anhu used to grind and mill uh, grain uh, with her own uh, Mubarak hands, but they still gave, and when they asked for, uh, you know, when they asked for help, the Rasul Sallallahu gave them a weird, you know. So that's, mashallah, uh, that's the sadat of the, you know, the Ahlul Bayt of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. That's their, that's their way. وَمَا فِي التِّرْمِذِيِّ مِنْ حَدِيثِ عَلِيٍّ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى عَنْهُ أَنَّ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ عَقَّ عَنِ الْحَسَنِ بِكَبْشٍ وَقَالَ يَا فَاطِمَةُ اِحْلِقِ رَأْسَهُ وَتَصَدَّقِ بِزِّنَةِ شَعْرِهِ فِضَّةً That it's narrated in Tirmidhi Sharif that the Prophet ﷺ said or that the Prophet ﷺ performed by his own Mubarak hand the aqiqah of Sayyidina al-Hasan by slaughtering a ram and he said, O Fatima, shave his head and give uh, the weight in uh, silver of his hair out as sadaqah. وَإِنْ خُلِّقَ رَأْسُهُ بِخَلُوقٍ بَدْلًا مِنَ الدَّمِ الَّذِي كَانَتْ تَفْعَلُهُ الْجَاهِلِيَّةُ فَلَا بَأْسَ بِذَلِكَ He says there's no harm 
to uh, to put uh, to perfume the child, the head of the child, uh, instead of smearing it with blood like they used to do in uh, jahiliyyah, um, then then there's nothing, no, there's no harm in that. It's a nice thing to do. والخيطان السنة في الذكور واجبة والخفاض في النساء مكرمة. And then the last, the last hukum that he mentions here is that of khitan, of circumcision. That uh, uh, the circumcision, uh, he says, he, he says that it's wajiba, yani sunnah mu'akkada. And uh, uh, Meaning, it's it's not it's not far. However, it is qadihun fil that a person, their their adala, uh, uh, their uprightness is uh, considered damaged if they purposely and without reason don't get circumcised. This is makruh for that person. They should not be the imam, nor is their witness uh, accepted, even if it's not a sin. It's something like like really wrong that that person. It's only a sign that that person something's really wrong, uh, um, um, and so it's really important to um, get the circumcision done for the male. And with regards to the female, it's permissible and it's mildly recommended. It's permissible and it's mildly recommended. Now, this is another issue that godlike people can't talk about properly. Uh, uh, and people will freak out about uh, because of their inability to define what it is they're talking about. Um, first of all, uh, for whatever reason, there's like a movement against circumcision uh, of male children uh, in in Europe and kind of in this country, although not as much. It's interesting, the Christians of this country were conscientious enough to realize that even you know, in the biblical tradition that it's something that they should be doing. And so many Christians, they, they, get circum- they used to get circumcised automatically. And I think it's relatively recently that that's changed, that uh, like insurance won't cover it anymore and things like that because it's, it's, it's not necessary. And uh, they won't like, it's not as facilitated as it used to be, although I think many people used to get circumcised in this country, although Europe was not like that. Um, they're, they were pagan people. And they kept, they held fast to many of their pagan rituals. And this is something that is, I don't think is as common over there. And so there's some attempt in Europe and different uh, um, jurisdictions to proscribe and make illegal circumcision for males, saying that, well, you can't make the choice on behalf of the baby and you're mutilating him and, you know, and you're this and you're that, whatever, right? Just like bonkers type nutty. Uh, nutty talk but on the flip side if I'm you know a minor wants to change their gender say um, somehow actually like you know it's it's such a like a rational fail that cutting off the foreskin is unacceptable 
on the flip side, flaying the entire penis and turning it inside out and like cutting up and reinserting it into like a body cavity or like some grotesque thing. That's not genital mutilation. I don't know like, I don't know what, what the logic is there. I don't, I mean, there, I know that there's no logic there, but it is something that people should know and understand and not, uh, um, you know, buy into. As far as the, as far as the, uh, uh, the chitan of the, the, the female, which is in particularly referred to as chifav, with a bod. On the, in the Hanafi madhab, it's permissible. In the Shafi'i madhab, they actually, I'm told that they make analogy between the 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 hukum for the male and for the female, that they are the same. It's sunnah for the female, just like it is for uh, for the male. The Maliki school is, again, as is the case for many Masail that are like diametrically against one another between the Atharis and between the Hanafis, there is some sort of moderated position, which is it's recommended. It was a, a honored custom of the Arabs, but there's no sin in leaving it. Um, but then you have to define what you mean by, you have to define what you mean by uh, female circumcision. And so there is a particular thing that's referred to as female circumcision called infibulation, which is apparently a custom like in some parts of East Africa where they like, they just like, like cut off the clitoris, they cut off, like they just cut off the, all the, all of the, the parts of the female, uh, uh, um, uh, female uh, reproductive organ that face outside, they more or less like cut off all the traces of it and uh, um, then literally shut it, sew it shut, which is 100% completely haram in every single madhab. Not, not, that is not what it's been talking about. It, that's been ta- what's been talked about in the books of Fiqh as, as, uh, as khifad. And that's not permissible like for anyone, anything. It prevents a woman from being able to enjoy uh, um, uh, uh, sexual intimacy and it's like super dangerous, like you could get infections that damage her ability to reproduce. There's a certain percentage of women that will suffer like really dangerous bleeding and hemorrhaging at the time of uh, consummation of marriage. And um, like literally you have to take scissors and cut it. It's like just really messed up. And then like it makes, you know, cause scar tissue now, it's not the normal tissue that can stretch normally or whatever. Um, that you know, sometimes the, the hemorrhaging and the bleeding then becomes fatal or really problematic. Then, as uh, also during pregnancy and childbirth, uh, it's really messed up. And uh, some people culturally conflate that with uh, Islam, but interestingly enough, infibulation is practiced in those areas by the Christians just as enthusiastically as it's practiced by the Muslims. So it's like a, a local thing. Uh, and uh, um, the the khifad of the Sharia, the Rasul sallallahu alaihi wasallam, his uh, um, he there's actually narrated that he gave specific talqeen to the woman who cut the who cut a little bit of skin from the from I, I believe the clitoral hood. Just he said, just cut a very small amount. Don't cut so much that it. And the expression that he used is that it takes the smile off of her face. 
And uh, my understanding is that in the countries that it's practiced, khifad, the shari uh, part, it's something almost like in, in, uh, um, indistinguishable from like a pinprick or something like that. It's just so that the 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 ceremony and the uh, custom of circumcision, which in the Shafi'i school is equal for women as or for females as it is for males, that it can be observed that it happened. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I, I, there was one of the ulama in, in I believe Malaysia, who was telling me about that, that actually when there was a push to ban uh, female circumcision, many of the scholars just said, well, it's a difference of opinion anyway, and they just kind of pushed it aside. Whereas actually it was the doctors that pushed back. The doctor said, this is our culture, this is our custom, and we don't do infibulation anyway. We have this like super like innocuous thing that like nobody can even tell that it happened. Like there's like almost no trace of it medically afterward anyway. And the girls have deserve to have this like whatever, like, you know, it's like, what are you gonna have a birthday party for the boys and not for the girls? It's kind of like something like, you're not gonna have this thing for your daughters, whereas you have it for your sons. And so apparently that, you know, that was the doctors were the ones who actually raised a, a bigger obje objection with regards to it. I personally have no horse in the race uh, amongst our people, like as Desis. Uh, mashallah, we're pretty, you know, we're known to be pretty uh, fundo when it comes to Dean. But like I, in my travels through the subcontinent, I haven't seen people practice this anywhere one way or the other. Uh, so it kind of is what it is, but it's important not to like let people bully you when talking about things, that you have to have uh, some sort of uh, um, uh, some, some sort of uh, fairness when you talk about things, to describe things as they are. Yes, infibulation is completely haram and we don't support it at all, but that doesn't mean that everyone who does it is, you know, and all the scholars of Shafi'i school or whatever other ulama who endorsed this, or Ibn Abi Zaid who said it's makruma, it's recommended, it's a good thing that, like, that they were talking about, like, you know, hacking someone off and like sewing them shut or whatever like weird you know that's not that's that's not what's being talked about uh, over here there was one more mas'ala i wanted to uh, mention even though uh, the bab is now done which is about the aqiqa uh, the difference between the aqiqa for a boy and for a girl and it's narrated that the rasul sallallahu alaihi wasallam he uh, slaughtered for the boys two uh, two animals and that for the girls he slaughtered one Malik Taala, his position and his opinion was that had to do with his economic position and not because the custom of the sunnah the custom of the Arabs or of the sunnah is to slaughter for the birth of boys what you don't slaughter for uh, the birth of girls. Rather, the Rasulullah at some point, you know, he could afford more animals and he had more people to feed. He, you know, it was more made more sense for him to to feed more people, uh, and so that's why he did two uh, uh, verses uh, versus one. And uh, I get you know asked this question, and you know sometimes people. People have like insecurities about these types of things. This is one of the things that really, like, really bothers me about like gender identity politics and um, feminism. Not in the sense that like we should respect women and respect our sisters and demand their rights and not make vulm on them. That's like only like a horrible person would not 
do that for any Muslim, be they male or female. And, you know, I see there are a lot of things that, you know, sisters get the raw end of the deal for. Sometimes men do as well. And just like it would be bogus to like not say that about one group or the you know or the other, it's fine. We, I don't see anything wrong with recognizing or respecting that. The thing that bothers me is what is this constant like implantation in the head that everything in the world is like designed to put you down because of gender identity, gender politics, and whatever. There's a bigger world than that, and there's some f- females that are definitely Muslimat. And there's some men that are Muslimin, and there's some women that are doing okay, and there's some, you know, men that are doing okay. And the numbers may be a certain way, but it shouldn't be like a defining thing with regards to your worldview. If somebody, if somebody has some disquiet inside of their heart, then this can be mentioned to them that the Rasul sallallahu alaihi wasallam. This is an assumption based on a, a literalist and a hyper-textualist reading of the Athar. But there's nothing explicit that he said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, slaughter two for a boy and one for a girl. There are things in the Sharia that are like that. You know, the two shares for a male heir versus one share for a female heir. That's, you know, that's mansus alayhi. There's no real other way around it. And there's reasoning behind it, etc. Um... In that, in that case, you know, I tell people, I say, well, I mean, look, in our sacred sharia, a woman is never financially obliged to spend on anyone. She's not obliged to spend on her children, not on her parents, not on her brothers and sisters, her siblings, anyone. Her money is her own. Whereas a man is obliged to take care of his parents if they, don't, if they can't take care of themselves. He's obliged to take care of his children um, uh, if they don't have their own money. He's obliged to take care of his wife, etc., etc., Whereas, uh, you know, a woman just doesn't have that set of responsibilities. And so if you want to say, well, that's still not fair, you can say that. But you cannot look at one hukum in a vacuum uh, and then talk about it being that way. Because there is something that counterbalances it. And if you still don't like that the way that is, then you have a problem with uh, Islam for sure. Um, but you know, to be honest and genuine in, in the way you discuss things, you should look at the, look at the, the issue in totality. Whereas this is not something like that. I don't think this is something like that. I think this is, uh, and there's no counter responsibility that the male baby has. There's not. This is really all there is in the story. And uh, you know, you could say, well, like you know, look, Mulvi Hamza is trying to suck up to the liberals or whatever the internet thinks about me, which I don't. I don't really care. Um, but Malik wasn't trying to suck up to the liberals, was he? He was just Imam Malik, and he didn't care what a kafir like across time and space thinks about the deen of Allah and his Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And I aspire to that. I don't care either. I don't care if I say something and the Republicans happen to agree, means nothing to me. If I say something, the liberals happen to agree, means nothing to me. If I say something, both of them are against it. Maybe a sign that it may be the haq. <laughs> but at any rate, the better answer than that even is what? I still don't care uh, because that's not, uh, you know, that's not how these things work. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, feed us all halal. Allah ta'ala give us ta'aleem as well so that whatever we catch and bring to him is mubarak. Allah ta'ala feed us a good risk in this world and in the hereafter. And Allah ta'ala uh, give all of us uh, children and our children's children a good aqiqah and a proper aqiqah after which 
uh, after which uh, you know it's the beginning of a, a good a good life and a good existence interestingly enough mullah ali al-qari rahimahullah ta'ala in his mirqat al-mafatih despite being a hanafi but because he's a muhaddith he's had more milan toward the uh, hadith-based understanding of fiqh than than the sometimes the uh, almost savagely usuli approach that uh, Imam Hanifa takes, which is why he's the Imam Adam. Um, that uh, he says that whoever wishes that their child should be obedient and pious, not pious isn't like reads a lot of namaz, but as in observes the rights of their parents, then let them take care in uh, giving due care and observing the rituals of how they. Ba'aqiqa uh, is performed, and uh, there's something practical there as well that uh, you know you should yourself uh, show a good example. There's another tanbih in the sharh, I guess, since we have a couple of minutes, uh, uh, not enough time to start a new uh, bab, but uh, um, but but uh, enough time to discuss a couple of more things. Uh, he mentions Nafrawi mentions in a khatima of this bab that there are a couple of other things that are mustahab also on the seventh day. Uh, and uh, uh, that is that the seventh day is when the baby gets named and it's delayed to the seventh day if you intend on making aqiqah if you don't then you can just name them whenever um, and so that's that's one thing so then in the limit of uh, of uh, uh, of naming he mentions that the naming of the child is the haq of a father People oftentimes will call me and be like, you know, Sheikh, what do I do? You know, like, my mother-in-law says this, and my wife says this, and my sister says that, and my father said that, and my this said this. I said, at the end of the day, it's your choice. If you cave into them, that's your choice as well. Uh, so don't name your children stupid things. People have all, there are all kinds of, you know, it would be nice. I wish I was like nice guy. Could be like, There's no such thing as a stupid, there is some stupid names out there. You know, if you have one, just when people say, you know, what's your name? Just say, my name is Muhammad, my name is Fatima. That's it. Like, you know, because there's some some silly names out there. At any rate, the name is the haq of the father. And if the name is a bad name or a dumb name, then they're responsible for that on the Day of Judgment as well. Uh, and so, you know, people give in to pressure because they're soft. They have soft hearts, which is in general a good thing, but not always a good thing. Um, they, they give in to pressure from people and like pick dumb names for their children. Um, pick a name that, that they're going to be proud of on the Day of Judgment. And, uh, um, and at any rate, it's the father's right and it's the right of the child against the father as well that they should pick a good name. And uh, uh, the best of names are mentioned in the Athar, Ahabu Asma'ikum. Ilayya Abdullahi wa Abdul Rahman the Nabi Sallallahu said that the best the most beloved names to me um, are, are the names Abdullah and Abdul Rahman and in general then the fuqaha extract from it that the names that mention a person's uh, slavehood to Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala and uh, the Nabi Sallallahu also named his child uh, his grandchildren Hassan and Hussein and uh, meaning nice names and Al-Baji Rahimullah Ta'ala he mentions Wa uh, 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 it's forbidden to give like ugly names like Harb and Huzn uh, Harb is like war and Huzn is like grief and uh, uh, um, on the flip side it's also um, it's also makru to give names in which there's tazkiyah in which there are uh, 
there's too much there's too much of a claim in it uh, so people have like Shamsuddin and Fakhrul Islam and this and that. These are these are very boastful names. People should keep their names humble and factual, good things, simple things, rather than uh, having having boastful names. You know, Mu'izzuddin, the one who gives honor to the Deen. It's it's too much. At some point, it's too much. At any rate, the, there's a difference of opinion, so you don't have to go after people. Um, if their parents name them that, but uh, for your own practice, a person should stay away from these these types of things. Man tawada alillahi rafaahullah, and uh, the person who humbles themselves for the sake of Allah Taala, Allah will elevate them. And at any rate, you don't see these types of names in in uh, um, in the first generations of Islam. Actually, uh, the uh, Ummul Mu'minin. Sayyidah Juwayriya radiallahu anha alayhi salam I believe her name was actually Barra which means like the pious the pious one Bir uh, Bir is like uh, like piety in the sense of like fulfilling fulfilling rights dutifully and so the Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam gave her a diminutive name right Jariya means like a little girl and Juwayriya is a diminutive form of that he gave her a humble name and she's the mother of the believers. And so if it's you know, good for our mother, it's good for us. This is a secret that in humility, uh, you, uh, you, know, you benefit in a way that you, 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 you'll be deprived of with boasting. And uh, what can I say? Um, you know, what can I say? Uh, showboating, too much showboating pride. It goes, it's the sign that the fall is about to happen anyway. Well, um, in particular, he, it's mentioned that naming somebody or say calling someone the Malakul Amlak, the King of Kings, is haram, because it is a uh, it is a name of that only belongs to Allah Taala. Uh, Ashhab uh, narrates uh, that uh, that I, either Malik or Ibn Al Qasim said that a person should not use the name or give the name Yasin. Uh, or Taha, these are names of the Prophet or something like Hakim and Aziz because they are Sifat of Jalal of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, um, <coughs> Ali was used and nobody ever said anything about it uh, um, and the Nabi not having changed it or, 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 or you know, said anything about it is a sign of its Jawaz whereas the other names that were mentioned they're not you don't see anybody with that name from the companions of the Allah Ta'ala on whom that the Prophet made it about of. Kariha Malikun at Tasmiya to be Jibril. Malik Rahimullah Ta'ala, he, he, it's said that he didn't like the people named their child Jibril. Uh, the name is a Syriac name of the angel that uh, um, means the brute force of Allah Ta'ala um, and uh, uh, then thereafter the fuqaha have said that, that this is because you don't name people after angels um, uh, that it's mustahab uh, at the time of birth that the adhan and the iqama be said in the ears of the child although i don't think this is from the 
from Malik rahimahullah ta'ala. Rather, this is because these things are narrated, so they, they, they mention them. Otherwise, I don't think Aslan that these are considered Sunan in the Maliki school. وَكَذَا يُسْتَحَبُّ أَنْ يَسْبِقَ إِلَى جَوْفِهِ الْحَلَاوَةُ that the first thing that child taste should be something sweet. This is something called technique. You just kind of like have one of the elders or one of the pious people, one of the ulama chew a little bit on like a date and then smear it on the baby's lips and the baby will lick, lick, lick it up and it will be something sweet that the first thing that they they ate. And I believe this is also a repudiation of uh, some weirdo uh, ritual that they had in uh, in, in Jahiliyyah. Um, and so these are these are some other... Sunan that are that, that are mentioned with regards to the birth of a newborn child. Was there anything you can think of that I missed? Sallallahu ta'ala Rasulullah Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.